I think it's interesting that we try and raise children with explanations, with right and wrong, when the world doesn't teach them that way. The world teaches them through cause and effect. The world rewards problem solvers, proactive problem solvers. And we're rushing in to explain to them the thing and not giving them a chance to get to the problem and work it out themselves. Hello, this is Julie Masters and you are listening to The Next Right Thing, a mini-series from the Inside Influence team designed to provide some actionable certainty in uncertain times. Specifically, where we're at right now, which is the COVID-19 pandemic. For some of us, the lockdown is looking like it's coming to an end or at least changing shape or form. For others around the globe, it's, it's just getting more severe. So wherever you're at... This is hopefully going to meet you wherever you're at. The idea behind this series is to go out to some of the most popular guests from past episodes of Inside Influence and ask them one question. What are you focusing on right now? Tools, ideas, strategies, or advising your clients to focus on that you know for sure works in uncertain times? The intention is that somewhere in here, somewhere in this episode, from this particular incredible mind, you will find the inspiration that you need for your next right thing. Or to put it another way, a point of certainty, something to hold on to amidst all the uncertainty. In this episode, I speak with Joe Newman. Joe describes himself as an expert in helping parents in crisis. Now, when we first brainstormed this series, he was top of my list to reach out to. As one of the first children to be diagnosed with ADHD, which was a, a label that taught him, in his own words, that he was broken. He went on to shatter expectations and rebuild his identity as a teacher and a champion of children who had been labelled by society as difficult or beyond help. He is the founder of Raising Lions. He is also the author of the book by the same name, Raising Lions, The Art of Compassionate Discipline. In other words, how to hold structure in situations and with children where structure doesn't come easily. Sound familiar right now? Now, honestly, I think I have used his tools more in my parenting journey than any other source. And as I say at the beginning of this podcast, you'll hear me say, I think that this lockdown, if it has taught me anything over the past six or seven weeks, it's how to apologize. <laughs> I'm getting really good at apologizing. Two kids under three, two businesses in chaos, and two parents trying to find their way through without destroying their sanity or each other. Now that is a situation, by anyone's definition, that needs some tools. So in today's conversation, we talk about exactly that, some tools. We talk about structure and why it's vital for anyone in any situation, particularly children. Mutual recognition, including why starting your sentences with I need as a parent far from being selfish, is actually one of the most powerful lessons we can teach our children in creating intimacy. Because if you think about it, what is intimacy? It's the ability to be able to balance, be present with your own needs, be present with somebody else's, and then balance the two. Why the fight is never about the thing. I mean, we all know that, right? Insert homework, wearing shoes, use of the iPad. It's never about the thing. But it's what it is about. It's about power, it's about autonomy, and most importantly, it is about dignity. 
and the powerful shift from right and wrong, using right and wrong as a structure for parenting, to using cause and effect. Now, what I want you to reflect on here is is actually a quote I heard from Joe. I heard it the first time we spoke, and I've seen it on his Instagram page, which is excellent, by the way, a number of times since. And it's a quote from Peggy O'Mara, and it says this, The way we talk to our children becomes their inner voice. Seriously. The way we talk to our children becomes their inner voice. Doesn't that just slay you? It slays me. You know, I feel like those words have been seared on my brain since the moment I first heard them. But here's what I've realized. And here's what I've been thinking about. It feels like our words become the inner voices for our children, yes. But those words start as our own inner voice. The voice, the tone, the language that we use on ourselves, about ourselves, the rest of the time. In our best and our worst moments. So maybe, and this is a point of reflection as much for me as it is for you, maybe we can start there. The next time we hear something coming out of our mouths that we don't perhaps feel is our best selves, maybe we can start by asking, where do I say this to myself? When did I first hear those words? And how can I be gentler, more resourceful and more present in those moments? And maybe by tending to that inner voice, we can become better or become a better inner voice for the small or sometimes large people that we love. Now, if you want to dig even further into Joe's tools and strategies and the work of raising lions, you can also hunt down our previous conversation, which I think is episode number 54. I feel like I'm just making these episode numbers up. I promise you it's in my notes. It must be true. Obviously, you can check out the book. However, something I do want to draw to your attention, if you sign up for his newsletter, I believe at the moment he's also running free Zoom Q&As for parents in crisis. So that is definitely, definitely, if you feel stuck or challenged, worth checking out. So other than stay well, look after each other, the usual things that I would say, now is the time to sit tight, listen up, and hopefully somewhere in here, find the fuel that you need as a parent for your next right hello joe newman how are you do you know what i'm i'm good i'm good things are moving quick it looks like we're we're coming out of lockdown slowly here which just brings a whole bunch of new information and new choices to the to the front, which is kind of, you know, nice segue is kind of what this podcast is about a little bit. It's about, all right, what's the, you know, what's a practical thing we can hold on to right now that's going to get us, you know, from A to B in the next 24 to 48 hours? What's, what's the next right thing? And, you know, there is no one that I go to or I look to more than you when it comes to, to parenting, which I feel actually I was saying to a friend recently, I said, if this period of time has been anything at all for me, it's been a period of time to practice apologizing. <laughs> I, <feel> like <laughs> I, I am a pro at apologizing now. It's, I'm mirroring apologizing. I'm teaching apologizing. I'm just the queen of apologizing. And, and I'd rather obviously not get to that stage. I'd rather have less to apologize for. So hence why you're here. And thank you. Thank you for coming back on. Um, 
one of what I asked and what I am asking all guests to think about prior to coming on to, to this particular series is, you know, what's the one thing? What's the one thing and the one piece of advice you're giving the most frequently at the moment? The one tool or strategy or mindset that, you know, you're really doubling down on or advising other people to double down on. So I, I, I put that to you. What's the one thing? What's the next right thing? If it was one word, I'd say structure. And it doesn't have to be a complex Pinterest-worthy spreadsheet of what your kids are doing every hour of the day. But you do need some structure of getting your needs met. And that, and that, that's the starting point. You're not going to change your relationship. You're not going to improve things. You're not going to do things um, much better if you haven't got some sort of predictable structure within which you can work. A structure will calm you down as a parent. And when you're calmer, you can change that relationship. So, you know, there's lots of ways that'll look, you know, for one one parent might be just, look, the thing I need is two hours to be on the phone interrupted to finish my work in the day. Or the thing I need is my kids to finish their schoolwork without me fighting with them for eight hours to get there. So setting one sort of structural, almost transactional moment around that. So for somebody, it might look like I need you to work from 10 to 1 on your schoolwork online. For somebody else, it might be I need you to finish this work before you have access to this more fun technology that you want to do all day long in the house. And so you have to create some sort of concrete structure you can repeat so that you're not making it up as you go along in conflict. That's what I found interesting about what you just said is you started with the words, what I need is, which is a bit of a revelation to me. I don't know about anybody else that's listening because usually how that process starts is what child A needs, what child B needs, what you know my partner needs, what this family needs. And then if there's any kind of wiggle room between the hours of 5 and 5.30 in the morning, I will you know, I'll, I'll fit what I need into there. And, and even the use of that language with your family or with your children, what I need is, what I need is for you to finish this, what I need. Do you use that deliberately? Absolutely. Okay, I want to turn something on its head, which is we have this idea that the perfect parent is the one who can intuit and deliver everything that person in front of you, that little growing person needs. But we forget that actually what they most need is the example of somebody who can assert their needs without disrespecting them, without manipulating them. But they have to be there. You have to start with your need. So, you know, I in my book, in my second book in particular, my first book, uh, I think the cornerstone of mental health and the goal with your children is to bring them into a state of mutual recognition. It's not just to recognize them. It's not enough. Matter of fact, if you just try to recognize them while you don't get recognition, your child feels all alone. And you haven't, they haven't got a template for future intimacy with anyone or connection. But if you can instill in them that you value their needs, but you insist that they hold your needs in balance, then you have their need, your need, mutual, mutual recognition. That tension gives rise to all kinds of spectacular characteristics that will serve you throughout your life. Can you give me, you know, I'm 
I'm, I'm asking as a parent at the moment, is there some language that works there? Can you give me can you give me some languaging in order to have that conversation? And does that language shift with, you know, what what I have is, you know, a very a lion of a three year old and a, a small baby we're not even at that stage yet with. And then you have people who have, you know, thirteen year olds, eighteen year olds. Is there some languaging that works and does it change depending on age group? Yeah. Well I think, you know, it it changes in how much you can expect them to give you. Like a three-year-old, you might say, look, I need you to play by yourself for the next 10 minutes. And they don't know what 10 minutes is yet, but you say, look, I'm going to finish this. Until I'm finished doing this, I can't play with you on that. And then so they learn how to self-regulate. They learn how to engage themselves to, to drive their own creative instinct without your constant facilitating of that. That's the growth of, a, of the beginning. Right there, I need something. I need this from you. At the end of that, when that time is, when mommy's finished doing this, and you, know what, you can say, I want you can watch, and when you see that mommy's finished doing this, then I'm happy to join you. But if I don't finish, I can't play with you. And you can just stop and wait and say, I can't play with you until I'm finished, and then repeat. And so that the length of this is a simple way to do that, right? You can also ask a child to stop and sit quietly for a minute before going on for like a, a three-year-old, it might be, I need you to sit quietly with mommy and just sit quietly until we continue because they're getting too wound up or they're, you know, they're getting wild and they're throwing things, whatever it is. So moments of deferred gratification start with a three-year-old. You know, as it gets on and you've got a five or six-year-old, you can say, look, mommy needs to be on this call. It's very important. So for one hour, I need you to do your own work. I need you to do something here. Okay, and um, and here's here's a clock. Here, you can see the time. This is how much time I need. If you interrupt that time, and you won't, then that time that you interrupt is going to come off the thing later in the day, which is optional. Which might be, you know, time on an iPad, a special TV show. It's like so when you come into the room, so they're now they're holding your need and their need in a simple balance. And you can say, look, I can't make you. Play by yourself. I can't. I can't even control you from from interrupting me. But it's what I need. And if you want, if you need the thing later in the day, to the extent that I get my need met, you'll get your need met. Maybe we won't be able to do the thing later in the day. I don't know. But you hear that language takes out the judgment, but mm. gives responsibility. And you talked before about that difference between spending effort and time and energy focusing on the right and wrong of something versus cause and effect, just the simple, clean cause and effect of something. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I'm, you know, I'm dealing with parents that who have willful children and I think willful children are more interested in power than they are approval. Right and wrong is all about approval. If your child wants your approval, if your child wants you to like them and is afraid you're not going to like them if they don't do the things you want, then right and wrong may work for you. But lions, that's why it's raising lions. Lions want power. They're experimenting. They're more like little scientists than preachers. I don't care about the right and wrong. They're like, does that work for me? I'm going to try that. Who has power? What happens when I do this? It's a very different language. You know, and I think more and more children are speaking and listening like scientists, which is, I think, a natural 
um, natural quality they have. And, um, and I think it's healthier. It makes for independent thinkers and problem solvers. So I just, I want to touch quickly on holding boundaries while honoring autonomy. I just want to touch on that because it's something that I know that I get stuck on. And I think a lot of parents get stuck on, you know, there are certain things that need to happen. Your homework needs to get done. You need to wear a jumper. If we are going outside in the middle of winter, you have to wear shoes. If we're, if we're in a playground, there are certain things that need to get done and you know, that's the boundary. And then you hit that boundary and you both get stuck there in this kind of tension between I will, I will not, I will, you will, I will not. Is there any advice when it comes to honoring autonomy, but still holding that boundary? So just not to get stuck at that tension point. Well, the story that comes to mind is I was sitting at a, a dinner table with a woman and her son. Uh, son was five or six and he said, you know, can I have another almond milk? Mom said, oh, you've had two already. Um, I need you to eat some, you know, some of your dinner. Um, and he says, well, I'm not going to eat any of the chicken unless I get the almond milk. He says, well, you're not getting the almond milk till you eat the chicken. And this, you know, they went back and forth for a moment, and then they both got silent. And he sort of sat there with his arms crossed. And I looked over at him, and I said, if I were you, I wouldn't eat the chicken. And he whispered to me, yeah, but if I don't eat the chicken, uh, she's not going to get any almond milk. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but, you know, she can't make you eat the chicken. Yeah, yeah, but I want the almond milk. And I said, well, I mean, if you're willing to do the trade, you know, do the trade, but, um, but I wouldn't do it unless I really was okay with that. It's your choice. And he was like, hmm. he looked at me, he looked at her, and he picked up the fork and he ate the chicken. Because quite often the fight is just about dignity. And kids are like obsessed with who has power and you can't make you do something. And so when you just go, look, I, you're right, I can't make you do that. But if you don't do this, I'm not going to do that. It's nothing personal. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's that important to you that you're going to. And once you start pulling that that personal control, that feeling of manipulation out of all those moments, then all of a sudden you find it's not like for the rest of your life. You have to always have a give and take where you say, if you don't give me this, you're not going to get that. It's about creating enough of a structure that has some transaction to it where you can practice doing something where the cause and effect will shape the behavior and you are giving them autonomy. And all of a sudden, they don't feel like their autonomy is ever at stake with you and you get a cooperative reciprocal relationship that grows out of that. And then from then on, it goes naturally. It does make sense. I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a second. You know, let's take schoolwork where it, you know, it, it needs to be done. It needs to be done by this particular time. Is that something that you are that you're saying you you know leave to leave to autonomy like you if you don't do it then you don't get the iPad it's very difficult to get to that stage as a parent because it you know schoolwork needs to be done that it is not a choice is there yeah can you give me some clarity on that because that's what I think where I certainly get stuck yeah well I think see I deal with parents who 
with kids who will just push and push and push. If you say it has to be done, it just has to be done, they're going to be, no, it doesn't. You can't make me. You can't make me. And they'll just hold on as long as possible because for them that, that, that showing you they have power is more important. So that doesn't change in a magical one moment because I gave you the right words to use, you know, and you said it the right way. It happens for, because of repetition. And so initially it might be like I have parents of a five and an eight year old that I've been talking to and they, and the kids were just like, we're not doing any schoolwork. We're not doing anything. And I said, well, what are they doing instead? They're like, well, they're in the playroom. They're playing with Legos. They're, they're, you know, they're running outside. They're doing all, you know, they're living kind of the country. And, um, and I said, well, let's just start with the playroom. Can you put all the toys in one room? And it just happened. They had actually had a combo like lock to get into that room. I said, change the lock. <laughs> I just changed the combo and say, the room is unlocked when the homework's done. Nothing personal. And let that play out for a couple of days. They're going to test it out, you know, and you're going to say, and look, I'm not going to facilitate anything else fun. I have a need here. I'm serious about that need. Can I absolutely make you do it? Can I sit and move your hand? Can I make your brain turn on to do these things? No. I think you might as well call you know, call that out. Say, look, the truth is I can't control you. Say that. I can't make you do it. But I'm sort of the one who provides everything fun in your life. And I can put those things on hold until I get some cooperation. And if, you know, if you want to go that route, well, we can go that route and then we'll try again tomorrow. And so you can navigate this. You set the cause and effect in your household. And that's what I'm kind of aiming for, that the world doesn't really shape you, didn't shape me from right or wrong. I didn't learn how to self-discipline myself. I didn't learn how to sit and get through books and learn how to write or even make it through college because it was the right thing to do. I did it because the causes and effects in my life were beating the hell out of me until I got some self-discipline to finish the things that were in the way of me and success. Cause and effect. And I think we learn that way um, for the rest of our lives. So it's weird to me that, that we, we, we try and raise children with explanations, with right and wrong, um, when the world is not doesn't teach them that way. The world teaches them through cause and effect. The world rewards problem solvers, proactive problem solvers. And we're rushing in to explain them to them the thing and not giving them a chance to get to the problem and work it out themselves. Cause and effect. We can set that up. We we have control over so much of our children's lives, what they get, what they don't get, how much they get. We can change it every day. We can adjust it hour to hour. We can actually set up a cause and effect system that's compassionate and respectful and gives autonomy. All things that the cause and effect system of the world will not give you. So in terms of reflection, we have, you know, the, the mutual recognition piece, the starting with I need and going from there and allowing them to... F- figure out intimacy which is the balance of people's needs which i love that definition of the of the the definition of intimacy um and i also loved the fight is is about dignity and i really relate to that that the the fight often isn't about the thing it's about power it's about dignity and giving giving choice and natural cause and effect and also structure 
and how we also we all need structure to feel safe, structure to navigate, and structure to be calm. So thank you, thank you for coming on again. It's such a pleasure to see you and hear from you again. And and for those that don't know, I didn't know before this conversation. Um, Joe's book is it Raising Lions? Yeah, that book. Yep, Raising Lions hit number one in mental health on Amazon. So. I can't recommend it highly, highly enough if you are raising a lion. And I would say in this day and age, we pretty much all are raising lions. So thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure. I love talking to you.